3: hello everyone this is the outlaw john roca with steve morris hello and this is our live preview that we like to do for films every once in a while and today we are doing a preview for part one of our exploration of 1982's gandhi an incredible film starring the great ben kingsley uh, that won eight oscars including best picture best actor for uh, ben kingsley and best director for richard attenborough steve what are your thoughts on gandhi initially well (laughs) what are my thoughts
1: on gandhi (laughs) jesus john
3: (laughs) keep it quick it's only a preview (laughs) (laughs)
1: um my my big this is my biggest thought i want to thank you for suggesting that we do this film i know it's one that you love because this is the privilege of doing the cinephiles is that you gave me the privilege of deeply studying one of the great humans ever to live on the planet earth and so I I am truly in awe of this person, yeah. and this is a remarkable film. Those are my those are my brief feelings about
3: Gandhi. Absolutely, a remarkable film that still holds up all these years later. Forty years later, Steve, we're on the fortieth anniversary of this film coming out, and a film that feels just as topical, sadly, as it did back in nineteen eighty two. Going back in time to the nineteen uh, through the early nineteen hundreds into the nineteen twenties, thirties, and forties. And uh, what feels now, what seems to going on in our world now. So this is a film that definitely checks a lot of our boxes and gets us going intellectually. So we're very much looking forward to talking about part one of Gandhi this week. Also, our short is happening this week as well. We've got a short coming out talking about Matt Damon's performance in Rounders. I texted Steve and I told him, Steve, I don't think we talked enough about matt damon and he said well let's turn on the mics and have some fun talking about his performance there so that's our short for this weekend where can people purchase the movies we talk about here on the cinephiles steve well not only
1: can you buy or stream every single movie you've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net but you could do all your amazon shopping there just go to cinephiles.net click on the links and if you start there we get i don't know a half a cent off of every time you stream the movie, but those half a cents add up until they get up to real nickels and quarters. So please, please, please go do your shopping through cinephiles.net. And if you decide to buy, you know, that new OLED TV, that actually would be more than a couple of pennies and we, and it doesn't cost you anything. It's just using that website to start
3: your shopping trip at Amazon. There you go. Do that. And come and join us this Friday for part one of Gandhi.
2: We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice, and it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. But we cannot lose. We cannot. They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body. Not my obedience.
1: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has today. And I have to say that when we talk about themes, history, and influence, and great films, this is also a truly great person that we are exploring my name is steve morris
3: i'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in los angeles california hello everyone my name is john Roke. i'm a writer producer and host here in san diego california voiceover artist and avid fan of and champion of this movie and i'm finally well i'm happy that we're finally discussing this film after six years and i can't wait to dive in deep with my uh, co-host and my friend steve morris
1: But before we get into the film, we want to talk about one thing, which is that our supporters on Patreon are what make it possible for us to continue to do The Cinephiles. And we wanted to say right up front that we would love you to join that community.
3: You're absolutely right, Steve. Our patrons are the life and blood of our show we respect them and thank them greatly and we want you all to join as steve said to join that community and be a part of it you know whatever there's so many tiers that you can support us at to get great benefits from we do those cinephile shorts we answer the questions we do those celebratory q a's to get and give our patrons like first access to deliver their questions and we love to answer their questions and really respect that and get them to send in their topics which we love to talk about On the Cinephile Shorts. And we'd be real open to listening to other benefits that you all would like to see from us. We're always thinking, we're always uh, coming up with stuff uh, for sure to give more benefits to our patrons. So if you want to be a part of it, we'd love for you to be a part of it, to keep supporting the show and keep it going. Please join us on the Patreon. And if you're at a certain level, think about going to the next level in your support for the patronage here of the cinephiles and john and i have been talking about
1: it and we actually have a bunch of new things we're going to add to patreon and we're going to be explaining what some of those are over the next several weeks so you'll be hearing some of the changes we're going to make and the thing is even for as little as one dollar a month that's 12 dollars a year if that would be a huge help if every one of you just committed to $1 a month, it would really help us continue to make the show and make it even better in the future. And of course, at the higher levels, you could do things like actually suggest movies that we review on The Cinephiles. Absolutely. So that's patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. It is the number one way you can help support the show. And speaking of the show, John, let's talk about Gandhi. Let's do it. It's, It's so funny because one of the advantages I have of being a fan of the top 10 show is for years, I've heard you talk about this film. Yes. And every time I heard you talk about it, I went, man, I really need to go back and watch this movie because I hadn't watched it probably since the nineties. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I watched it a ton. You know, if we talk about how we came to the film, I think I saw it in the movie theater and I watched it a ton as a young person. And I didn't know how deeply influential this film was to my whole way of looking at the world. Hmm. And, 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 you know, I said this, I think in a preview is that doing the cinephiles gives me what I will call the true privilege of learning and researching and studying. And I'm telling you, John, the deep dive I went into Gandhi <laughs> might be deeper than anything I've done in
3: the entire history of the cinephiles. Yeah. So welcome to the month of Gandhi. No, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> It's probably yeah, true. It, it might be four parts. We don't know. It might be three, but yeah, it's certainly uh, that's no surprise to me, Steve. This is an incredibly interesting human being, a complex human being, um, fascinating human being who accomplished so much in such a little amount of time, and led to a sadly tragic ending. You know, we talk about assassinations and we mention Malcolm uh, L- X. We mention Martin Luther King Jr. We mentioned Bobby Kennedy, John Kennedy, uh, and we rarely mention Gandhi in that mix of assassinated leaders. Uh, Because he is, you know, he's from India, an Indian, and so we don't necessarily connect connect that to our American thought processes. But his assassination was just as devastating to the world as any assassination that we can speak about here on our shores because of what he symbolized, because of what he stood for, because of what he fought through in order to achieve what he achieved. And we're going to do our best on this show uh, to break it down, to respect it, to uh, present multiple points of views on the issues that come up, the historical aspects of this film as well. And I imagine, Steve, you've done enough research to maybe even – we might even approach this in a Braveheart kind of way where we show certain liberties that were taken, certain things that were moved around possibly uh, in the film as we go along. I tell you right from the beginning, it's not going to be Braveheart. Okay. <laughs> Because really,
1: I mean, yes, did they combine a few characters? Did they yeah. move a few events a tiny bit? Yeah. This movie is actually quite accurate, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Um, and I'll say something else. And I've been thinking about this is, and maybe this is a, a, an unsurprising spoiler about how I feel about this guy. Yeah. But I think he might be, if you're going to list the top five greatest humans ever to live on the earth, in my opinion, from my knowledge, yeah. Gandhi is in that list. And honestly, I can't figure out who else to put it. The the only other person I can think of, and this is not good versus evil. This is just in terms of their influence on the world. The only other person who I think is a comparable came from nowhere Mm -hmm. to do a thing that was beyond anything that had ever been done before is Genghis Khan. That's Ooh, the interesting. only other person I can think of because everybody else, we think about Alexander, or Julius Caesar, they yeah. all could, you know, Alexander was a prince yeah, 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 who already, his dad was already conquering things. Julius Caesar is part of the, you know, Rome, like right. these, the, the, whereas both Gandhi and Genghis Khan come from nowhere, like yeah. and have nothing behind them and
3: then do these unbelievable things. And I'm going to walk into a little bit of a minefield here and say we don't have the civil rights movement. In I don't today. think that's a minefield at all.
1: Okay. I 100% agree.
3: Yeah, we don't have the civil rights movement in how it came to be in our country without the influence of Gandhi on Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and if you haven't seen this movie or if you just saw it for the first time and you're seeing all these things, it, I, I would not be surprised for some of you if it, it actually opened your eyes to how historical – The steps that Martin Luther King Jr. took here to bring about civil rights in this country and to fight for the African-American community in this country, it's very connected to what Gandhi did. I think Martin Luther King even spoke about how much Gandhi influenced him in his approach. And I think the film does an excellent job of showing the seminal moments in Gandhi's history when those actions were really put to the test and he stuck by his principles of nonviolence in the face of so much anger and violence. And I don't know, just like the death of John Kennedy, the death of Martin Luther King Jr., I don't know how our world would have been different and changed, and maybe for the better, had he lived for longer to influence the political machinations of um, the world of India. Um,
1: it, it's certainly an interesting what if. I mean, we know he was on his way to Pakistan Yes,
3: at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, John, how did you first come to Gandhi? My dad took me. I mean, I, I, it's. This was the beginning of the. You know, there, there are stages when you become a cinephile, right? And this is where I was beginning to see that I had an intellectual curiosity. I mean, I'm, I'm 11, 12 years old when this thing comes out, so I haven't. I had have started to develop this intellectual curiosity of these figures in life, and I just had a natural proclivity for it. So when this trailer happened, I talked to my and my dad's like, "Yeah, we're definitely going to go see it." he knew about gandhi he read about gandhi when he was growing up and so there was a definite interest i think the whole family went because i mean we're all young kids at the time and i think the whole family went to see this movie right and this is one year after chariots of fire so mm-hmm. my anglophile nature is being fed here because he is a british born a british sorry british uh influenced uh, uh lawyer and trained lawyer here and ben kingsley has the british accent a lot of british actors in this movie so this was when I was beginning to grasp and enjoy epics in movies and enjoy intellectual uh, pursuits and philosophies in movies, and also these historical figures in film. So I remember this put the hook in me and I've owned every version of this movie ever since I had the double VHS. Mm -hmm. I had the DVDs and I just recently got the 4k in a Columbia pictures collection to watch. And so I have always revisited this film once every couple of years uh, to remind myself of how great of an epic this is and how quickly this epic goes by, how quickly three hours and whatever minutes speeds by when I watch a film like this. And if you're interested, that 4K version is
1: absolutely beautiful with tons of bonus materials and the best place to get it would be at cinephiles.net where you could buy or stream Gandhi, but you could also pick up this incredible collection. John, would you like to hear a little bit of pre-production of this film? I would absolutely love it. So, as a boy in the early 30s, the director, Richard Attenborough, is sitting in a movie theater watching newsreel footage of this little man in a loincloth. And that is how they described him in the newsreel footage. And the rest of the audience bursts into laughter. Wow. And his dad leans over to him and whispers in his ear... Don't listen to them. This is one of the great people of the age. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, there were several planned previous productions to make biographies of Gandhi. Um, And would you like to guess, if you think of your directors of, like, say, the 50s or 60s, who might want to direct a huge epic version of Gandhi? I think
3: every director would want to direct a huge... David Lean seems to be the... The choice I would go towards if I was to think of an epic film director at that time. Well, you, sir, are right
1: on the money because (laughs) that was the movie that Sam Spiegel and David Lean planned to do after Bridge on the River Kwai. Wow. Starring in the role of Gandhi, Alec Guinness.
3: No. Uh, After the brown face in Lawrence of Arabia, they thought, well, we'll brown face him up to do Gandhi.
1: it's really before the brownface and Lawrence of Arabia because that's what they decided to do instead. Oh, fair enough. Okay, is that they switched enough. to Lawrence. And here's the weird thing they'll say. Yeah. There are all sorts of similarities, not only between the film Lawrence yeah. of Arabia and the film Gandhi, which more and more kind of fit into my head, yeah. but they're also, believe it or not, I know it sounds strange to say, there are similarities between T.E. Lawrence, yeah. a soldier, warrior, almost terrorist, who commits all these violent acts um, and Mohandas K. Gandhi. There are similarities between these people that kept striking me as I'm studying them. Um, Needless to say, that version of Gandhi falls through. It's 1962, 1962. And Richard Attenborough, who's mostly an actor at this time, has yeah. done a tiny bit of directing. Is contacted by a man named, and I'll, I'm going to butcher a lot of these names, so I apologize in advance. But this is Motilal Kothari. Now, this is an Indian civil servant working in London. He contacts Richard Attenborough and says, "You have to make this movie." Why did he pick Richard Attenborough? I have no idea. And maybe he picked, maybe he went and talked to every British actor or director there was before. <laughs> getting to richard attenborough i don't know um and he and richard attenborough reads a book on gandhi and goes man i i do want to make this movie and he goes back to this indian civil servant and says okay but who's gonna make the film and the guy goes well you're gonna make it he's like no 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 no. who's gonna pay for the film right and he says oh we don't have any money what (laughs) what (laughs) And Attenborough spends the next 18 years, 18 years of his life trying to make this happen. Yeah. Wow. Um, Through Lord Mountbatten, who we'll meet at the very end of the movie, who is still alive in the 60s. Attenborough meets him, and he hooks him up with Nehru. Again, this is still the 60s.
3: Right, right, right.
1: Okay. So now Richard Attenborough goes to India, meets Nehru. And they say, and this is, and Nehru at the time is the prime minister of India. This is not, you know, it's a big guy. And Richard Attenborough is a, you know, a well-known actor, but he's not huge. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not a giant person. And so they say, well, Mr. Nehru is very busy and you could have maybe 30 minutes. So he goes in to meet with Nehru and Nehru pulls out all these photo albums and all this stuff and spreads it all out and spends like four hours with Attenborough talking about Gandhi. And says, and then he calls in his daughter, which is Indira Gandhi. Mm -hmm. And Indira Gandhi at this time is like the minister of information for India. Later on, she will be the prime minister. Right. And, And he says, let's go have lunch. And so it's Nehru, his daughter, and Richard Attenborough. And he basically says to his daughter, this movie is important. You have to help him make this film. Wow. Yeah. And this is in the mid 60s.
3: We don't get the film until
1: 1982. Yep. Incredible. And, and then Nehru died in 1964. Right. And everything stops. Now it's the late 60s. And Attenborough brings the movie back to David Lean. <laughs> and says, David, may I've been trying to get this film made for, you know, eight years. Maybe you could get it made. And David Lean says, you know, I wanted to do it in the late 50s. Yes, let's do it. And says, and do you know who he offers the lead
3: to? Uh, Alec Guinness again? (laughs) Richard Attenborough. Oh, Jesus Christ. Richard Attenborough. Right?
1: I mean, as much as Alec Guinness shouldn't be playing that role, Uh, it definitely should be Richard Attenborough. No, he's a different frame completely, He's a big, completely bigger guy yeah um and and that falls through because and david lean goes off to make ryan's daughter which by the way i've never seen ryan's daughter
3: i've never heard, seen it either uh it's not uh, supposed yeah. to be good yeah that's what i've heard too That's what i've
1: seen um in 1976 warner brothers signs on says they're going to produce it at this point uh indira gandhi is the prime minister of india yeah yeah and they're getting and she says well we can put up some of the money right and then there was a huge state of emergency in India at that time. And Indira Gandhi says, I got other stuff to do. I can't help you out right now. That's in 76. I'm
3: running a country.
1: Guys. Yeah. Then in 79, she says, look, we can provide the first $10 million, which isn't enough to make the movie, but India is going to pay for $10 million of this film. Right now this whole time, there've been different scripts. There've been different actors attached. There've been different people. And Richard, I mean, we're talking about 18 years He's spending trying to make this movie. Finally, they have a script by uh, John Bailey, which is really the one that ends up being the movie. Yeah, And he takes it to a guy named Jake Eberts, who's an executive at Goldcrest Production. Interesting. And he says, when he Attenborough comes to him, he's like, no way, that's not what we do. I'm not interested. It doesn't sound like it's going to make any money. And Attenborough convinces him to read the script, which he says he stayed up all night and was weeping throughout the whole thing, reading this script. And comes back and says, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to raise the money to
3: make this movie. Can we stop for a second here? Yes. This is is a microcosm of what it's like to convince people to watch this movie. (laughs) There is no one that I've ever convinced to watch this movie who doesn't love this movie when they watch it. Matt Nost, notorious comedian, sarcastic city, and my co-host on the top ten – I have been trying to get him to watch the film for years on the show, and as you mentioned earlier in our intro, I bring it up all the time when it fits the list. And he finally broke down and watched it, and he loved it. And so, the film is good. The script—no surprise. This guy was like, "No, no, why do I want a three-hour epic? I don't want to read this thing." No, reads it the next morning. He comes, says, "Whatever I need to do, I am going to do it right." And it's almost even uh, if I could go even further back, a microcosm of Gandhi this one man yep. in this oh, against overwhelming odds and he has a great line in the movie where he says even if i'm a minority of one right is what's right and yep. uh that is what this is the film is and i hate to and you know it's kind of strange to say this is an epic but it's the it's the big film that is the smaller film that could it's the epic that could and that's why i think is is such an amazing film so to hear these stories, which i've which i've never heard before these stories you're telling it's just even more proof of the specialness of this movie. Well, and I also think
1: it's the, you know, this is what it takes yeah. sometimes, you oh, know, yeah. like the the battles that you have to fight to do something, cool. to do something, you know, you're going to have to fight battles to make the next jackass movie, much less making Gandhi. Like this is just a huge amount to take on. <laughs> Um, good
3: <laughs> comparison I like
1: <laughs> <laughs> well and it's funny too you know what else is, is that I think about is like you know years and years ago we did which I still think are among the greatest episodes we ever did on the Civil War yes and what Ken Burns was taking on to tell that story well this is a similar thing this is one of the most important events in the history of the world yeah. that Attenborough is taking on let's talk about casting okay so this is, this is what Attenborough says and it's so interesting I have a whole new theory it, I realized that when we talk about the calm, nice directors that yeah. everyone wants to work with, the vast majority of them were actors. Oh, yeah. Rob Reiner, Ron Howard, uh, Mel Brooks, sure. um, and of course, Richard Attenborough. Richard. And Richard Attenborough says he loves working with actors. And he said, if I was going to be remembered for anything as a director, it's that I know how to cast. That's great. So obviously, there is one part that is critical to casting right martin sheen part you're right martin <laughs> it's all about martin sheen
3: um
1: and uh richard's son goes to an rsc royal shakespeare company production of hamlet oh. and playing hamlet is ben kingsley oh my god i would have loved to see ben kingsley right um, oh my and, god yeah. and he says you have to see him for uh gandhi and Atborough, uh, the father goes no, no, no. We're, we need a name. We need somebody like that. And then his son says, you know, he's half Indian. And and Ambrose says, I'm on my way. Ding, ding. <laughs> and this is one of the things is that mo- many, many people don't realize that Ben Kingsley is actually half Indian. Yes. Yes. Not only half Indian, his father is from the same province, the same area that Gandhi's from. Yeah. So they're testing all sorts of actors. And I, I'm sure you could predict what are the list of great British actors at this time. And in is coming John Hurt to test for Gandhi.
3: John Hurt?
1: Oh, my God. All right. And he walks in (laughs) and he sees Ben Kingsley in the room and he comes up to Attenborough and says, next to him, I look like a second rate Welsh fraud. (laughs) Don't test me. That man is Gandhi. (laughs) That's incredible. And I wonder if he knew of Ben. I would well, think so. Acting you know. English circles, maybe. Who knows? Ben Kingsley did a tremendous amount to prepare for I'm this. I'm sure. Oh my God. First, yeah, he went vegetarian, not just vegetarian, but what Gandhi's vegetarian diet oh. is, which is extreme. Method. A, to lose the weight. He slept on the floor for months. Wow. He learned how to spin, which was very difficult. Yeah. And he continually laid out in the sun because he didn't want makeup. He wanted, you know, he's yeah. half Indian, but he's been living in London for oh, sure. his whole life. Talk. He needed to bring back that color
3: into his skin. You should see my white legs right now, please. It's just, <laughs> sure. I've been in the house for so long, for two, three years because of COVID. I'm not brown at all. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. I feel you.
1: Are I they gonna it, take man. away your Latino card? That's I mean, right.
3: <laughs> yeah, I feel you, Ben.
1: Um uh and and this is the thing too. I, I'm gonna say it right up in front. So yeah. Ben Kingsley was 36 when he made this film. Wow. Um, he has to play between 27 and his late seventies. You have brought up many times the great performances of aging. One of them, obviously, we talked about Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. I know you have brought up Nigel Terry and Excalibur. Yes. We just did one, which is Denzel Washington as Malcolm
3: X. Mm. This might be the best. You could argue that this is the best because he looks almost like a dead ringer for Gandhi at all the stages of his life. It is incredible. And as you said, his father from the same province, him being half Indian, his son, Edinburgh's son, seeing him, this is all serendipitous. It's all kismet. It's all preordained. Karma. Karma, you might say. Yes, great. All coming together to make sure that this film is told in the best way possible with an actor who is able to convey the depth of Gandhi throughout the whole movie and the journey that he goes on, the learning journey that Gandhi goes on to become Gandhi. Cause he doesn't start out as Gandhi. And I think that's, what's great here uh, as well. And you might be right. This might be the best because this, the opening of the film is him old. So right off the bat, you know, whereas we see only Orson Welles's mouth say Rosebud, we don't get a close up of old Kane until much later, until we see the, uh, the newsreels right Right. but here we see him in motion and walking and amongst the people in what is live time in the film and so we get to grasp that right off the bat and it's a straight up shot when he is killed of him reacting to the bullet so we're seeing the makeup we're seeing the look of the actor and it's incredibly believable so you might be right
1: yeah i mean there are no criticism of mr wells in citizen kane (laughs) Uh, 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 but there are moments where i can see the makeup of course I never see the makeup in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm totally convinced by him. Mm-hmm. And I will say this right now, right from the beginning. If Ben Kingsley is not in this movie, you and I are not talking about this today. I think you're a hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. Right. I mean, his performance is astounding and I'll go, this is my first Lawrence of Arabia which uh, comparison, which is that Peter O'Toole comes out of nowhere uh-huh. and so Ben Kingsley. Yeah. To, to, to helm these movies still working sir ben kingsley yeah, yeah. and still great i mean it's like yeah. what's so like i just think i almost go i don't think i'm i'm not saying that richard attenborough was lucky to cast this guy because he chose he found him and you yeah. but like the fact that this guy went on to have the career that he had yeah or continues to have where he has played everything all the way down to the mandarin you know in shang chi where he is yeah. hilarious yeah, I mean, what an incredible and and I'll just say what and, and this might not sound like a big thing. But John, you know, this is a big thing. He was so serious about the diet and how he lived his life during the I think eight months that they shot this film. He couldn't even go grab a beer with the cast and crew after a day of shooting. Wow. You know, yeah, he's like, no, I can't do that. I have to go home. I have to eat some nuts and some fruit and I have to go sleep on the floor.
3: That's commitment, man. Yeah, if you, if this is what it takes to achieve worldwide success, this sacrifice for these, I mean, imagine a year of shooting. Uh, it's the sacrifice in order to be able to deliver a, such an authentic performance as an actor. It's there. Yeah, it has to be from the inside out and whatever you need to do to get there, you know, res- uh, um, within, you know, respecting respectable boundaries. Do you have to do to get there to deliver a performance like this? I
1: mean, and you, I just think of the responsibility. Certainly, the responsibility on Richard Attenborough, but the responsibility yeah. on Ben Kingsley.
3: Yeah, to yeah, to the uh, Indian people. Yes. Yeah. Well, and
1: you know, you're a half Indian actor living in London, playing arguably the greatest Indian to ever live. Yeah. At the greatest moment in your country's history, arguably,
3: like that's a lot to take on. And India is no small country. And no. India, Indian movies are now hugely influential in the world and are being talked about in ways that they never were before because of the power of Indian cinema and the number of people in India who patronize this stuff. So it's like, that's, uh, that's the um, weight he was taking on to take this role on. I wonder what his conversations with himself were like, what Mm. was, you know, what was he experiencing? What was the process? Did he have doubts? Like, and almost maybe may mirroring Gandhi's doubts of leading the movement that he leads, which we see in the film, his, co- his questioning of himself, his wondering if this is the right path to be walking. And I wonder if Ben suffered some of that himself and used that to oh, yeah. influence those scenes in the movie. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the part of
1: Gandhi's life that we don't see mm. before he shows up in South Africa, um, is that he was – You know, from a middle class ish family, his father, you know, had some position, but became quite ill when Gandhi was very young. He was just an average student. You know, he wasn't standing out in any way. He was in an arranged marriage, which wasn't unusual at all. And actually, to this day, still isn't that unusual in India. And he was married to his wife at 13 and uh and this is the this is the beginning and i'm going to say this is one of the weird similarities with t e lawrence one of the things i learned about t e lawrence in my research about him was it was a guy who was continually pushing himself physically mm-hmm. he went on t e lawrence went on these you know 1000 mile bike rides he denied himself food he denied himself he g- kept pushing his body harder and harder and became this ascetic you know like and that that pushing of his body is part of what allowed him to do what he did later Gandhi's really the same way is that he wanted to be perfect in terms of how he lived his own life. Yeah. And the first place that he was disappointed in himself was his carnal desires for his wife. Yeah. Is that he, they would have sex and then he would feel, and he lusted after her and he hated that part of himself (laughs) that lusted. Because freeing yourself from desire is part of the Hindu tradition. It's yeah. part of certain Brahman traditions, uh, which is the class that which is the caste that he was part of. Yeah. And he was also at this time caring for his sick father. Mm. Uh, and I don't remember what the disease his father was suffering from. It was very, very serious. And he had to you know, perform a lot of the things that are difficult for a person a relative who is sick. And he leaves his father's sick bed. Yeah. to go have sex with his wife. And that is when his father died.
3: Wow. Yep. So he carries the guilt. Yep. Jesus.
1: That if his lust hadn't taken him away, oh, he would have been there for his father. And would say the only reason for sex is procreation. Other than that, you shouldn't have sex. In fact, any, in Gandhi's mind, any seeking of pleasure is wrong.
3: Well, look, it worked for George Costanza for that one. <laughs> so like, <laughs> i totally understand ladies and gentlemen it's another first on the cinephiles (laughs) the
1: very first gandhi george costanza comparison you have it right here
3: i would love to have seen a gandhi conversation with george george (laughs) at the diner i just think that would have been incredible
1: seeing to write oh my god that's so
3: that is amazing how do you how do you eat this stuff how do you (laughs) just all of it would be perfect Um, but yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, This is, and of course, you know, I studied Buddhism for a little while when I was doing that as well. And the idea of removing the desire for something is supposed to free your mind up for other things. If you can actually organically remove it, not force yourself, but organically remove it, 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 it allows for more space in your mind to consider other things or look at other things or process other things, uh, and explore other philosophies or other points of views. Um, Supposedly, so I don't know. well, and and this is it's hit
1: on in the in the movie. It's not hit on as much as it existed in Gandhi's autobiography yeah. or in his life, but there is a direct connection between personal integrity mm-hmm. and being doing everything as you are supposed to be, and your adherence to absolute truth, yeah, and the movement, the national movement for ind- independence. Those are connected for Gandhi. and, And that's part of his, by the way, his secret sauce is the magic of Gandhi is that, you know, we've had all sorts of leaders, great leaders who there were things where we could say maybe they were a little hypocritical. Yeah. You know, whether it was having affairs or, you know, like they liked some luxuries or, you know, things like that. Gandhi had none of that. Yeah. Gandhi was exactly who he said he was. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point where And I'm going to say this right now, and I'll hit it a few more times as we go along. Okay, Gandhi's a pain in the ass. Yeah, If you were hanging out with Gandhi, if you were
3: in his family, it's the guy wasn't easy, you know? It's very well known that he was a cantankerous SOB. So uh, that's that's part of the element of Gandhi that they didn't, you know, and Richard Attenborough spoke about it, how they didn't want to focus on that. Because it's an element, but it isn't what he stood for and who he really was, like, in terms of what he was trying to accomplish in the world. So they didn't feel the need to stress that. And maybe that'd be different now, you know, but in 1982 you're trying just trying to get this thing made, you know.
1: Well, and we said this again when we did Lawrence of Arabia is yeah. you the people who accomplish great things normal people don't do that. Yeah. Like true. you right. have to be a little crazy, yeah, to do the things that these kinds of people do.
3: Yeah. You know. There's also oh. sacrifices that go into it and usually it's the family that pays mm-hmm. the price for great people achieving great things you know so he
1: did as a very young man try eating meat a couple of times
3: mm-hmm.
1: he tried alcohol i think once in his life <laughs> um he was brought by i think it was an elder brother or a friend to a whorehouse Oof. and then walked out you know this is it and then his mom asks him to swear a vow of vegetarianism and this is when gandhi swears a vow that's it right he, you know and eventually it becomes an even bigger vowel, which, again, I'm going to mess up this pronunciation, but it's Brahmacharya, which is this – it's this Hindu concept, I believe, and it is essentially celibacy, vegetarianism. It's its becoming the, the perfect version of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what he's working towards. He's not quite there yet. In 1888, he goes to England. And he knew very little about England. He didn't speak English very well. He was trying to be a vegetarian, which imagine trying to be a vegetarian in England in eight, the 1880s. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's boiled vegetables and that's it, you know, and maybe some bread. Yeah. Um, and the, the this guy, he's an uber introvert, very uncomfortable talking to anyone, yeah. extremely shy. He joins his first kind of uh, connection to people is he joins a vegetarian society. And he... Has some Christians come to him and say, hey, listen, I know you're a Hindu and whatever, but Christianity, that's the truth. And you really need to study that. And Gandhi, rather than arguing, says, absolutely, I should study that and start studying Christianity. Mm -hmm. And he's reading the Old Testament, totally bored, (laughs) thinks this is not interesting at all. And then he gets to the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And that is a transformative moment for him. Mm -hmm. He goes, this is the truth. And he felt that this was the true word of God. Right. But here's the thing about Gandhi. He didn't reject Hinduism. Hmm. He went, there Can be the true word of God in Christianity and in Hinduism. Yeah. And this is something he does throughout his entire life. Is rather than say, this is my position and argue, he goes, yes, I'm going to learn about Islam. Yeah. I'm going to learn about Judaism. I'm going to learn about being a Sikh. And I'm going to take truth and wisdom from Anywhere I can find it. Yeah. And this is the thing he says. He says, if Jesus could be the son of God, we all could be the son of God. Yeah. He also says none of these religions are perfect. Of course. No religion is perfect. Yeah. Well, except if you talk to, there are people who very, very strongly say my religion is perfect.
3: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, no, nothing, nothing human made is perfect
1: ever. <laughs> this would be an entire other conversation <laughs> because you just said religion is human made. Um, uh, well, I, Hey, I'm not going to argue. I don't, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. but, but we're not going to go down that path
3: as a believer in God. This is my point of view. So it's just, it's just my point of view, but you're right. We're not opening the door to that. But, but I will say
1: this thought, I didn't know how influential this guy was on me.
3: And yeah. he really is.
1: He goes back to India, goes to look for work. He, he's not a great lawyer. <laughs> and he's like working for Congress. He's very for the Indian Congress. He's very new naive Uh, and he knew he wasn't doing a good job, but he was very humble and he continued to learn and he gets harsher and harsher on his diet. He decides that he likes the taste of salt in his food. So you know what he does? Cuts out all salt. Wow. Because eating shouldn't be for pleasure. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Okay. I mean, the guys, it's almost like being a samurai. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like this is my code. Yeah. And that's
3: it. Right.
1: And, and, and this is where, and this is where it gets kind of rough. So he's eating—he eats nothing but raw f- fruit and nuts. He won't drink milk. He won't uh, eat anything from an animal. And if anyone gets sick, Gandhi goes, "You know what? You haven't. uh It's probably your diet. You need to have a more extreme diet." So his son gets super super sick. Is almost the doctors say look we need he needs some protein. We need to give him some milk or something. Right. And he goes no no, he needs his diet to be more extreme. That's that's you'd cut out everything. Same with his wife. His wife's on her deathbed at one point in South Africa. Right. And the doctors are like please, please let us give her a little bit of beef tea yeah. just to get some protein. And he goes and he gets angry and goes no. She needs to just eat be, she hasn't been good enough on her diet and she almost dies. Um, but, but comes back to which Gandhi goes, see, I was right. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so he is a pain in the
3: ass,
1: (laughs) but I'm going to go back to one of the great humans in the history of the world. Yeah. Would you like to get into the film? Let's do it. So we fade in on water, boats, sunrise. There's no music. We hear crickets and birds and, we hear distant voices, and then we see on screen, no man's life can be encompassed on the telling. There is no way to give each year its allotted weight to include each person who helped shape a lifetime. What can be done is to be faithful to the record and to find one's way to the heart of the man. And then we see New Delhi, India, 30th January, 1948. Yeah. It's another similarity with Lawrence of Arabia. We start with the death right and what's interesting and again look it's history we spoil everything anyway what we are about to see is the assassination of Mohandas k gandhi and in the telling of this film at the beginning we are with the assassin yeah that's how they structure this we see this man working through a crowd we're behind him we hear voices and way way in the distance we catch our very first glimpse of gandhi and we see them approaching. He's being supported by two young women. And this guy pushes through to the front. And now we see Gandhi, who, man, I mean, he looks like Gandhi. That's yeah. it, you know. Yeah. And we're with the assassin. The music is very tense. By the way, the score is from George Fenton, is the composer, with Ravi Shankar. Oh, that's great. Ravi Shankar is the guy that George Harrison met that, you know to learn how to play the sitar the most famous sitar player of india as far as i know and we see this man put his hands up in prayer drops to gandhi's feet to kiss his feet which is a sort of traditional sign of respect and as they're all reacting to that he stands up quickly and it happens so fast
2: oh god,
3: oh god. i remember this moment standing out and listen What you just brought up is a really excellent thing to bring up. The Attenborough, I know how to cast. Even a small role like this, they cast the perfect actor. He Mm. has a slightly evil look on his face. Just his natural face has a slightly evil look. And so we see him kind of navigating things as he's rolling through all these people. And there's, there's two other people behind him who have equally angry looks. And I wonder if they're part of the threesome that are going to show up. And anyway, he is there. And then, the, and I think what's genius about this direction here is we see right off the bat him from a distance. As you said, we're seeing from his perspective, the, um, th- this is what it feels like. You're just one of the masses seeing a man like this, but slowly, but surely we get closer and closer to him. And when he bows down after, you know, after having the back and forth with him, with the raised hands. He gets up when he gets up, he knocks over the bowl and the Mm. sound of the bowl, I think is so essential to this moment because it jars you and then boom, come the gunshot. So you're already unsettled by the bowl and the quick movement of this guy and then bam the gunshot. So it's a perfect way as an audience member, as an audience, yeah, as a perfect way to grab the audience member by the lapel and go, you're going to pay attention to this movie. Mm. And I think it's a smart decision. And it had been a while since Lawrence of Arabia. So starting with an assassination first, it was a nice thing to borrow from Lawrence that really worked for this Mm -hmm. movie because now we know the ending. And so a tinge of sadness goes through the entire movie as we watch it because we know where it ends up. So it's very smart. Because I guarantee, uh, 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 Steve, there were not a lot of people that knew the story of Gandhi before they went into the theater to watch this movie, I would imagine. Well, and
1: this is this is part of why Attenborough chose to do it this way, was yeah. he wanted to bring people in and make them understand what was important about this guy. Yeah. Um, by the way, there was a lot of resistance to him making this film. There are a lot oh, of I'm people sure. that said, this shouldn't be made by a British company, this shouldn't be made by a British actor, not a British director, it should be an Indian film. They thought there were going to be protests. The Prime Minister, previous to Indira Gandhi, said that he would fast unto death to prevent this film from being made. uh, Attenborough meets the grandson of Gandhi who comes to him and says, you are being guided by unseen forces and we wish you well. And all of the protests fizzle. Like it really just didn't happen. They thought there was... I mean, they thought people were going to bomb the set. Yeah, yeah. But that really didn't happen. Mm. Um, Lawrence of Arabia starts with T.E. Lawrence's death. Yeah. and then cuts to T E Lawrence's funeral. Yes, so does this one. But this funeral oh, is unlike anything ever put on film. Yeah. They started work on it 6 weeks early. It was the day it was shot was actually the anniversary of Gandhi's death. Wow. And they put out on radio and TV and they just invite everybody in you know where they're shooting. They have no idea who's going to show up. <laughs> Could be 5000 people could be 500 people yeah and attenborough goes out and gets every camera crew he can find because we need to we only can do this once
3: yeah
1: and so we have camera crews they're all dressed up in uh costumes so they kind of blend in he gives them all instructions they couldn't pay anyone but what they did was they said we will endow schools and hospitals across india for if people come to this thing right and that's something they did throughout the shoot they were worried that people are going to riot yeah the flowers showed up late. So now they're really, really stressed. And then 400,000 people show up. Good God. I believe that this is the biggest scene ever put on film. (laughs)
3: 400,000 people. Those are not CGI people, ladies and gentlemen. That's real people there. And not one of them said, I am Spartacus, which was pretty... (laughs)
1: <laughs> um by the way the guy who has to organize all this is the assistant director his name is roy is Roy Button. For <laughs> Roy Attenborough says he is the greatest AD of all time. Want to hear some of the movies that he worked on? Please. Superman, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom, Out of Africa. I mean this is the wow is one of the guys.
3: That's word of mouth. That's what yeah.
1: that is. Yeah. They build a wax replica of Ben Kingsley to be in the funeral procession. Mm. It didn't work. That's Ben Kingsley. (laughs) That's awesome. So we start with boots walking and we see flowers on the ground. And then we see this top-down shot of this carriage holding the body of Gandhi and flowers being thrown on flowers. And Kingsley had to just sit totally still as he went through this parade. And
4: we hear a radio announcer. Mahatma Gandhi. ...was not the commander of armies, nor a ruler of vast lands. He could not boast any scientific achievement or artistic gift. Yet men, governments, dignitaries from all over the world... ...have joined hands today to pay homage to this little brown man in the loincloth... ...who led his country to freedom.
1: Because we need to know who, this is what Atombrose, like, we need the audience to understand who this guy is. Yeah. He was a man
4: who made humility and simple truth more powerful than empires.
1: And then I love this quote from Albert Einstein that we see.
4: Generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this ever in flesh and blood walked upon this earth.
3: And it's great because you see all the older versions of the young characters we're going to meet throughout the movie. Like a little preview Mm -hmm. of all these essential people in the movie to Gandhi's rise. And then we cut to, again, it's much like
1: Lawrence of Arabia. Now we go back in time to him as a young man, an unimportant young man. And we are in South Africa in 1893. So how this happened, by the way, he's working for the Indian National Congress. And not doing very well and not making a lot of money. And his older brother is like, Look, we paid to send you to England, dude. Like, you need to start making some money for the family. And he gets this offer to go to South Africa. And really, I, you know, from my reading, he went for the money, you know, like right, this is right. was, he wasn't doing that well. And that's where we find him in South Africa. And we see a young Gandhi reading in a train car in first class. Yeah. Uh by the way, Ben Kingsley's wearing a wig for this scene yeah it shows and there is a black porter in the car and gandhi engages him in conversation which is obviously weird for the porter and then we see a white guy talking to the conductor
4: just what are you doing in this car I,
2: i have a ticket a first class
3: ticket you know you're being so kind Two white racists step up in positions of power and question this man like he is below their feet. One of them keeps uh, throwing a a derisive South African term at him. Mm -hmm. And they warn him that he needs to go back in third class. And Gandhi is defiant, saying, no, I I bought a first class ticket. I always ride first class. I am a lawyer. And they question that he's a lawyer because no colored person, no Kaffir, as they like to say, is a lawyer. And he is saying he is. And he even pulls out his card. Yep. And it does nothing to change their minds. And as I said, this is a film that resonates to nowadays as well, even though it's a scene from way in the past. I I love his response, too, because they say there are no colored attorneys in South
2: Africa. And he says... Sir, I was called to the bar in London... And enrolled at the High Court of Chancery. I am, therefore, an attorney. And since I am, in your eyes, colored, I think we can deduce that there is at least one colored attorney in South Africa.
3: Yeah, it's a little preview of his intelligence. Yeah. And, uh, and his intelligent defiance in the face of racism. Yeah.
1: And they call him a smart, bloody keffer, which is the equivalent of the N word. Yes, a terrible word. And he's, again, going. I always go first class. I paid for the ticket, Mm -hmm. you know, and there is a hard cut to him getting thrown off the train. Yeah. And this really happened, by the way. Yes. This is a seminal moment in his life. Yeah. And then he's just left alone at this train station in the middle of nowhere, in the
3: middle of South Africa. What I love about this shot, too, is that it's from far away and we see him not react or yell or cause a commotion or anything like that. He's in a spotlight. He looks around and he sees the people, um, and maybe even a preview of the people he will be leading in the future. And he sits and he kind of goes into kind of this sitting stance, pondering what he's going to do next with his, both his hands together and put towards his mouth, just pondering what he's going to do. So, again, we're getting a little mini preview into how he reacts to violence or racism or people thinking lesser of him because of him being having different colored skin. You know? Well, and, and I think it's fascinating
1: that his the very first conflict he has is I should be traveling first class. I always travel first class. Yes,
3: yes. It shows his a little bit of his privilege, so to speak, from money because he comes from a certain status, as you said, a middle class status. So, yeah which I think is great to see a little bit of that.
1: And it's the opposite of who he's going to be, you know. 20 years from now, that is he's not traveling first class. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. And we cut right into the middle of a scene where he's talking to his employer and he says,
2: But you're a rich man. Why do you put up with it? Yes, I am rich. But I am Indian. I therefore do not expect to travel first class.
3: And, you know, I love this scene because you've got, you know, people of color there in the scene and white people having this discussion about How things are in south africa and i i will say this you know south africa became a big deal in the 1980s steve it was something that people looked at the apartheid all of that but in 1981 how many teenagers knew about south africa and what was going on in south africa i don't know or 82 rather when this film came out so you, but so having this discussion about racism in south africa and the history of racism in south africa here and then having so many of these different characters involved here and you have someone like the legendary amrash puri who plays khan there matter of fact about everything He's just so matter of fact about it all, which is a nice color here because for lack of a better term, because everyone else seems a bit kind of unsettled by it. And and they have, they've accepted it against their better uh, instincts or judgment, but you know, they don't want to upset the apple cart and you've got Khan here. Who's like, no, no, I think we're going to keep you employed because I, I got a feeling that you're going to mess some people, you know, upset some British people. And, and then he goes, I think we can keep you employed, especially because you're going to upset British people. So it's a great window into the beginnings of this movement that Gandhi is going to lead to change people's perception of Indian people and of people of color. It's really a great
1: scene. And I should point out that this actor is the actor that you can also see in Temple of Doom as yes. the scary priest ripping hearts out of people's chests. <laughs> um, Ram. yeah, exactly. uh, I, I love him. I think, he's, I think he's absolutely great. And I love this moment because there's a white guy. Yes. who is also trying to educate Gandhi. And he says,
2: You look at Mr. Khan and you see a successful Muslim trader. The Most South Africans see him simply as an Indian. And the vast majority of Indians, mostly Hindus like yourself, were
3: brought here to work the mines and harvest the crops. Most Europeans don't want them doing anything else. Uh, and that's the thing with racism. It is an attempt to make people who aren't, that intelligent, accomplished, successful feel they can at least be above someone of color who is simply because they're of a different color. They're white. And um, that is always jarring for me to see. This scene never uh, doesn't affect me when I watch it in the back and forth because these are intelligent men. And this intelligent lawyer, and whether he's, you know, a good lawyer, successful lawyer, he's an intelligent, educated lawyer, is tossed off a train by a porter yep, and treated as he's lesser than the porter, which is ridiculous. And so having them have these conversations and what we later see with Daniel Day-Lewis in that great cameo is this idea that, yes, even people who are not even remotely intelligent can feel that they're better because of this Idea of race, and we see this happening now in our world. This idea of like, because you are white, you are some, even though you work, you you know, you are unemployed or you or you are not doing anything, you are better than this incredibly accomplished person of color because they're not white. And that's the inherent ugliness of racism: is it tries to make other people who aren't that accomplished feel like they can at least be above someone, and it's
1: terrible. I think there's so much going on between these two scenes in the train and in the yeah. scene with Mr. Khan, because yeah. like the porter, you can want He is so uncomfortable yes. talking to Gandhi because he's like, dude, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. You know,
3: and like, you me because I want to keep my job and I get beaten up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the other thing is the inability of people to see what is right in front of them. Yeah. Which is that. He is a lawyer. <laughs> he's like, yeah. no, no, there are no colored attorneys in South Africa. <laughs> right. And then we go into this scene where we're talking about, look, this is a really successful businessman. This is a wealthy man. Yeah. But the white guy is saying, look, the other people in South Africa, they, all the Indians were imported to work the mines. Yeah. So they look at this guy. It doesn't matter what he's wearing. It doesn't matter how wealthy he is. They see what they would call a coolie, yeah. like someone who just is, you know, a working person. Yeah. Who is beneath them. And there's even this moment where Gandhi's like, because the guy, the white guy that's explaining this, he is employed by Mr. Khan. Yes. And Gandhi's like, whoa, hold on.
2: You mean you employ Mr. Baker as your attorney, but you can't walk down the street with him? Well, I can. But I risk being kicked into the gutter by someone less holy than Mr. Baker.
3: <laughs> like, that's so nuts. Yeah. It is about trying to control people of color and put them in their place because it, you reflect back on them what they have not accomplished in their life and it drives them insane. Well, then it must be fought.
2: We are children of God like everyone else. I will write to the press here and in England and I will use the courts. You will cause a great deal of trouble. Our position We are members car- of the empire. This is this
1: remarkable thing how often do businessmen who want to make money put their businesses in situations where they're going to lose
3: money? Yeah, very rarely. Unless you're Warner Brothers Discovery. Very rarely.
1: <laughs> very rarely does that happen.
3: And yet this guy, Mr. Khan, in, in
1: one way, he is the true. without Khan. Yeah. Khan! Ah! Without him. There is, maybe there's no Indian independence. Because yeah. he had to risk his business to say, I am happy. He says, as you said, I'm
2: sure our community could keep you in work for some time, Mr. Gandhi, even if you caused a good deal of trouble, especially if you caused a good deal of trouble.
1: He wants it to happen. I mean, this guy's going to end up in prison yeah, for supporting Gandhi. Outsides a little bit later, we see Gandhi with a mustache. There's police there. There is a very, very small crowd.
2: There's the English reporter. I
1: told you he'd come.
2: You also said your article would draw a thousand people. At least some of the Hindus brought their wives. No, I asked my wife to organize that.
1: And this is our first glimpse of Gandhi's wife, which is uh, Kasturba Gandhi is her name. And the actress is Rahini Hatangadi, a well-known Indian actress. And, you know, we talk about Ben Kingsley's aging transformation. Yes. Hers is amazing, too.
3: Absolutely. She's incredible in the film.
1: Incredible in the film. Gandhi, for his first many speeches, starting in England, he would write a speech and then totally be incapable of speaking in public and hand his speech to someone else. That's how shy he was. He was super, super shy and introverted. And I think Ben Kingsley does an incredible job of showing that evolution.
2: We do not seek conflict. We know the strength of the forces arrayed against us. Know that because of them, we can only use peaceful means.
1: This is the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, some people said, well, he read uh, Walden and civil disobedience from Thoreau. Mm. Um, The evidence seems to be that he didn't read Walden and Thoreau until after this started. Is that he had been in South Africa doing nonviolent resistance, noncooperation for a decade before he read Thoreau. Uh, I'm not certain of that, but that seems to be what the evidence says. So this is this. I just want to just just pause (laughs) to point out that this is an entirely new idea. Yes. Like we don't have the strength to fight you. Therefore, the only way we can fight you is peacefully.
2: The symbol of our status is embodied in this pass, which we must carry at all times, but which no European even has to have.
1: And they, what they're going to do is burn these cards. And as soon as the police see it, they are
3: angry because this is government property. So they claim. Yeah. What's great about this too, as you mentioned, Steve, we see him try to read his speech and his speech is excellent, right? The, the wording of the speech is excellent. So he's, he's stumbling around. He's clumsy. He's awkward in the speaking of the speech. Speak the speech trippingly, I pray you. And then he swings, and when he puts the card into the fire, he's a timid little guy, like he's yeah. almost, like he go he, he moves around the the flames of the or the um, whatever you call it, the invisible flames of the fire to put the pass in there. So even the moment isn't a defiant moment of grandstanding. Mm-hmm. He's very much like this is the right thing to do, but I'm still an awkward, nerdy, antisocial, shy guy. So I, you know I have to do it in this manner. And then Khan takes the speech over. And, and, which I love. Which is great, right? Said, you have a lot to learn about inspiring Hindus, I think he says. And it, then he delivers the speech with much more gusto and firmness. And um, he goes over to throw the pass and that's to throw the pass in the fire as well. And that's what inspires the police to come down. Once again, people who here come in and they are wanting to control a crowd here in vi- with violent means. And... It's incredible what this leads to in the progression of the scene.
2: Those passes are government property, and I will arrest the first man who tries to burn one.
1: And Mr. Khan holds out that pass, looking right at him, and drops it in. Um, and they go and they arrest him. Yeah. And then Gandhi, who has the whole box of passes, walks over and starts burning them. Yeah. And they strike him with their their sticks. And, and this scene is incredible, because he goes down, he's in pain, and he starts to reach up to burn more, and the cop hits him in the arm, and then he cradles his arm, and we're like, okay, that's going to be it. No, it's not it. He is going to keep doing it no matter what happens, and they beat him, Stop. and he continues to
3: burn those passes. It's his example of a nonviolent protest there for everybody to see and even the police officer if you which is great acting by that actor you know in the small role you see him completely unsettled by the fact that he is beating someone who is defenseless and is not fighting back and there is that moment that flashes across his face of like i've never seen this before and why are you doing this why are you making me do this yeah. right and so it's a great performance there in that moment and you know he could have easily done a standard stuff of just looking at him angrily but you see him question and almost question himself like God, i've got to do this and he hits him again across the face gandhi puts one more in and then passes out it's so great well and this is this weird power that gandhi
1: discovers mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that he's the first person to no, discover no. this Perfect. but but that if you take a swing at me and I put my hands up to protect myself. And then I take a swing at you. We're even. Yes. You know what I mean? We're in a fight and you could walk away. And even if at the end of the fight, you've kicked the shit out of me, yeah, you could walk away going, well, it was a fight. He was fighting me. I was fighting him and you could feel okay about yourself. If I lower my hands and let you punch me, it's going to be real hard for you to feel good about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. And, and it's interesting. Something, this is very much a lot of Aikido kind of deals with this is that, there is an expectation in conflict that someone's going to have conflict back with you, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if you get, you know, even if you're just having an argument, if someone yells at you, you expect someone to get defensive, to yell back, to retreat, to but you don't expect them to go, Oh, that's a really interesting point you're making. Let's talk about that. And I've watched people's anger. There's violence. I've watched it just dissipate when you don't give them the expected thing. Um, and then We're going to meet the South African officials. And there we meet General Smuts,
3: played by the great playwright Athol Fugard. Who is a noted anti-apartheid playwright who worked for years uh, uh, in South Africa and had to produce his plays outside of South Africa because they were anti-apartheid plays. And some of you might not know this, he wrote the book that the, the film Sotsi, which Gavin Hood directed, is based on. Mm. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, and he taught at University of California, San Diego for years. Oh. In the playwriting uh, uh, um, program. Um, he lives now in South, uh, South Africa. He's moved back to South Africa since 2012, but for a number of years, he taught at UCSD. So to cast him as this character, I think was a stroke of genius by Attenborough, yeah. who I'm sure knew yeah. He was anti-apartheid so it was you know bringing that kind of thing
1: well and i remember when i first read and then later saw master harold and the boys mm, right um and that, there's the yeah. tv movie that's matthew broderick um whew, that's a great play mm-hmm. and what we hear is that this is all over the press yeah and this is one of the keys is that nonviolent resistance does not work without mass media because people have to know, it's people finding out that Gandhi was beaten. Yes. That's what makes it work. If, if you can cover it up, which previous to this moment, if, you know, if something happened in South Africa, it would take six months to get back to England. Now it takes, you know, that day. Right. This, this won't work without that.
4: They said the burning of passes by Mr. Gam asked Mr. do to see. The burning of passes by Mr. Gandhi. it was the most significant act in colonial affairs since the Declaration of Independence the Day.
1: I love Smut's reply.
4: Well, they'll find we're a little better prepared this time.
3: <laughs> By
4: the way, do you
3: recognize who is playing his assistant? No. no, who is it? It is the same actor who disembowels Mel Gibson at the end of Braveheart. Oh, my God. It is yes. the same. Who's playing Daniels. It is the same actor uh, who does that later. Who's, <laughs> who's going,
1: there? say mercy? Yes, say
3: mercy. Yes. Who is, the, you know, and of course castrates him and whatever, but yeah, that is the same actor who is playing that role. So yeah. he's a, there's a lot of great British actors. He's there. a jerk to multiple freedom fighters. <laughs> well, he did give him a pound or a uh, shilling for the taxi rides.
1: So. Reluctantly. Yeah. True. Reluctantly. Um, and later on, Gandhi's reading the paper. We see that he's wounded. He's with his wife. Uh, and the family comes in and he picks up his kids and, you know, the kids kiss his feet. And yeah. he, he says, which is a traditional, you know, thing. Yeah. And he looks at his kids who are dressed very properly and says,
2: Just like proper English gentlemen, I'm proud of them.
1: And his wife says, They're boys and they're Indian. Which I find very interesting.
3: Yeah, because this idea that Gandhi sprouted up fully formed is not correct. Right. So, And just like any person who leads a movement, you're inspired to lead the movement. But you also have to grapple with your own inherent... Um, points of views and that you didn't know were there because they're so just, just drilled into you from birth that you don't understand the difference and you don't understand how your own privilege, your own racism, your own kind of, um, I don't know what you call it. Just kind of accepted forms of operation and viewing of things has to change. If you are to really symbolize change for a number of people, you know, what well, I think at this point in his life, <laughs> He believes in the British
1: Empire. Yes. And yes. he believes in British law and the, the things that he's been taught and that he goes, well, if we're only perfect versions of citizens of the empire, we should be treated as citizens right. of the empire. Right, 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 right. And it's
3: only later that he evolves and goes, no, I need to be fully Indian. Yeah. You know. And what's great about the, the moment here, too, is she, she says, uh, just like I told you about the British police and what they were going to do to you. You know, like she knows more than he does because he's coming from a bit of a privileged existence. You know, it's later on. He
1: walks outside and there is a priest. Yeah. Ian Charlson. The great Ian Charlson. Yeah. Playing Charlie Andrews. Yeah. It's interesting that the two big movies I know
3: him from, (laughs) he plays very religious people. Yes. Uh, Sadly passed away very early in life. Um, I think it was AIDS. And I, I think if he had been Born, he could have back in the he could have vied for Lawrence of Arabia with Peter O'Toole. In my personal mm. opinion, he's that good of an actor. He 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 really does bring a, a, something very
1: special and yeah. kind. I think to this and yeah. human, very human. Yes, and he's come from India. He didn't come from England. He's come mm-hmm. from India because he's heard of him. And it is true at this point, you know, Gandhi's been in South Africa maybe a decade, and. The word of him has traveled all around the world already.
4: I've read a great deal about you. I'm a bit
1: good, I hope. I love Ben Kingsley's smile. As
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's charming. You can't walk. And I love that Charlie Andrews like looks at his carriage Like, like, no, I have, I have a horse. <laughs> you know, like, I have a carriage. I don't need to walk. Gandhi started walking everywhere when he was in England. Partially because he was just broke. Right, 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 right. But also he just decided that, I mean, he would walk 8, 10, 20 miles a day. Wow. You know. I wonder who is he's so thin. And healthy. Yes. You know?
4: Yeah. I met some remarkable people in India, and uh, when I read what you were doing here, I, um, I wanted to help. Is that surprising? Not anymore.
1: It's really true. Gandhi drew people from all over the world, even at this time in his life. And they he drew people from every single religion. So here he is, a Hindu guy, yeah. going to work with a Muslim... We're going to see later, there are old, classic, powerful tensions between Hindus and Muslims. Yeah. But then Christians came and Jews came and everyone came to this very special person just out of his personality from all over the
3: world. Yeah. People have to know, we see the people who are warped and use religion in negative ways across the board. It doesn't matter. Every religion can be misused by people within it. And, but we have to create the space for people who do use religion and are inspired by it in a positive way, whether they adhere to the tenets of a religion or their belief in God and the basic, or uh, um, Allah or, you know, whatever it is, uh, Jesus Christ, whatever it is you believe in, um, that inspires them to do good in the world. And so this idea of people gravitate, you know, and, and I think Gandhi says it like, no, it's incredible, won't you, a movement, people seem to show up out of nowhere to want to help. and. Because I think human be- there are – as many as there are human beings who want to do evil things or twist things or warp things for their own personal benefit, there are also people who instinctively are drawn to do good in the world. And I think that's what – when they sense an authenticity in a movement, they want to be a part of it. They want to help and they feel drawn to it. People will come, Ray. If you build it, people will come. That's the genesis of that speech from James Earl Jones – in field of dreams. If you build it, which means authentic dedication to your father, people will come. The authentic dedication to helping people, people will come. Yeah. Well, and I think the key and this is again the connection
1: between the personal and the political. Yeah. Almost everybody we hear about, we admire, yeah. and then we find out some stuff and we go, "Well, they're human." You yeah, know what I mean? Uh, they're not perfect. We right. don't expect to. No one's perfect. People went to Gandhi and they went, I think, "Holy shit, this guy is putting his money where his mouth Mm is, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't, and and was he perfect? No, of course he wasn't. But his drive to be perfect was real powerful. Yeah. His self-discipline. Again, like T. Lawrence, in a very different way.
2: At first, I was amazed. But when you're fighting in a just cause, people seem to pop up like you, right out of the pavement. Even when it's dangerous
1: or... And speaking of dangerous, we're going to be walking down the street and we see some young white guys immediately threatening them. And I love, Ian. you know, Charlie Andrews says, maybe we should... uh...
2: (laughs) Go around. Doesn't the New Testament say if your enemy strikes you on the right cheek, offer him the left?
4: Well, uh, I I think perhaps the phrase was used metaphorically. I don't don't think the... I'm not so sure.
3: He seems legitimately scared, which is great. <laughs> he's of course. Like, oh boy. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he was speaking literally. <laughs> well, like, and this is the thing yeah. Gandhi says, no,
1: it was literal. <laughs> why not? Yeah, he says, that well, is why? what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. And you can see what's interesting, again, Ben Kingsley's performance is he's scared too. Oh, yeah, totally. He doesn't want to get hit. Right. But he's talking through it as they're walking, and he says,
2: I, I have thought about it a great deal, and I suspect he meant you must show courage. Be willing to take a blow, several blows, to show you will not strike back, nor will you be turned aside. And when you do that, it calls on something in human nature, something that makes his hatred for you decrease and his respect increase.
1: That's what you were talking about before. Yeah. And we are walking towards these young guys, and you said before who one of them was. I had
3: no idea. Do you want to say again? (laughs) Yeah, that is Daniel Day-Lewis leading that trio there. Um, Oscar winner to Oscar winner, Ben Kingsley to Daniel Day Lewis, there having an interaction um, about him being an Indian man walking on the sidewalk because we had been told in that conversation in that scene mm-hmm. that Indians are not allowed to walk on the sidewalk in South Africa, uh, and so we see, as I said earlier, three no account you know guy. We should find out the guy's late to his work. Um, they, they don't seem to convey any level of intelligence. People using their racism to try to put themselves above a person of color who's an accomplished lawyer. And uh, even a clergyman there, in a way, by being associated to this lawyer. And that's the ugliness of racism. And what happens? Mom calls out and says, where are you? He has to step out. And he makes a comment, like, we're just trying to clean the streets. And she says, you're late for work. Get your ass to work. And then they walk through them. And well, no, and then they come back, and Gandhi says to him, You'll find there's room for us all. And then proceeds to walk through them. So, once again, whenever he's met with resistance, there is this calmness along with the fear, but he is willing to walk into the fray. And then when he comes out on top, he calmly walks through. He doesn't gloat, he doesn't put a finger in the face and say, See, I told you, he just walks through. Uh, and it's great to see. Well, and I think at that moment when he says, You'll find there's room for us all. Yeah
1: you see the beginnings of the Gandhi he's going to become. Yes. Good point. You know, groundwork of it. Yes. Because he doesn't, and this is the thing. So someone is hateful to you and not only do you, are you prepared to take their blows, but then when they don't give you blows, he still talks to them with compassion and love and acceptance. Yeah. No anger, no resentment. No. He's like, Oh, ah, we win. There's nothing like that. It's (laughs) you'll find
3: there's room for us all with kindness. And, I, and ironically, Ben Kingsley will win the Oscar for playing a real-life historical person, and Daniel Day-Lewis, a few years later, will win the first Oscar in 1990, his first Oscar, for playing a real-life historical person. So just very interesting kind of connective tissues here. I love I love as they're walking away
1: that Charlie says,
4: That was lucky. I thought you were a man of God. Well, I am, but I'm not so egotistical as to think he plans his day around my dilemmas. <laughs> it's so
1: good. Yes, that's great.
3: That's such a great um, line, right? I mean, yeah, because so many people do think they are. Again, this is my
1: philosophy, even though I'm an atheist, is that it's the truth between the religions.
2: But we've all come to the same conclusions. Our Gita, the Muslim's Quran, your Bible. It's always the simple things that catch your breath. Love thy neighbor as thyself. (laughs) Not always practiced, but... It's something we Hindus could learn a lot from.
1: That idea that I, a religious person in one religion, could learn something from the another religion, is a remarkable thought. Yeah. And then we hear that they're going to change the past laws.
3: <laughs> yeah. His assistant comes out and says, yeah. "Yeah."
1: We also get to in the next scene meet, meet Martin Sheen.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, I would like to meet this Mr. Gandhi. Gandhi, Gandhi. Of course. We Westerners have a weakness for these spiritually inclined men of India. (laughs) But as an old lawyer, let me warn you, Mr. Gandhi is as shrewder man as you will ever meet, however otherworldly he may seem.
3: And this is something that's true because you read a lot of biographies, you read a lot of analysis on Gandhi. He was very shrewd. He was a master politician. Oh, yeah. Uh, Amidst all the whole, you know, being holy and being, you know, eating what he ate and spinning and all of that and the, you know, meditation, the contemplation and being nonviolent. He was also very smart as he started to grasp what was happening. He was very smart politically. And we see moments of that throughout the movie that I think are essential. No one leads a movement and is successful with a movement who isn't smart about how to politically keep it alive against the forces they are fighting. And so we see that with Gandhi. And by the way, the character Martin Sheen is playing is a composite of a number of reporters um, who covered Gandhi during this time. Well, and he goes to
1: meet with Gandhi, and in Lawrence of Arabia, there is a reporter Mm. that has long conversations with T.E. Lawrence, uh, who's an American. Let me take your picture, you great man. Oh, God, I love that. I mean, but that's the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's so interesting, is that that reporter sees the darkness in T. Lawrence. Eventually, yes. Whereas this reporter sees nothing of the kind in grinding.
4: You're an awful small minority to take on the South African government, not to mention the British Empire. If you are a minority of one,
2: the truth is the truth.
1: And we walk through it. Now this whole ashram is
2: being built. Call it an ashram? That's right. The word only means community, but it could stand for village or the world. <laughs> You're an ambitious man, Mr. Gandhi.
3: I hope not. He is taken aback by this. Like, he's almost embarrassed by this, right? And he says, oh, God, I hope not. As if it would be one of the most offensive things. Because I think he knows that ambition leads to abuse uh, and leads to hurting people. Well, and the next thing that Walker says is really the antithesis of
1: ambition. Because he says...
4: I hear that you also participate in preparing the meals and uh, cleaning the toilets. Is that part of the experiment?
1: And he doesn't answer. But he does tell his wife that there's going to be another person for supper and i love that he also is inviting the guy who the the, the driver of the Dude. carriage but we see his wife's pissed his wife's not happy
4: sora was sent to tell me i must rake and cover the latrine
1: uh you were in the army <laughs> my guess is at some point in basic you had to learn how to dig a latrine oh yeah man you do
3: and when you're out in um you know when I was in the reserves, when you're out in certain areas you have to you have to dig a hole in the ground, put the plastic bag in there, and then everyone takes their turn, like you know kind of cleaning up that area depending on if it if you did it last time or not and and all of that and k p duty all of it yeah, i mean it's a matter of creating a sense of like no one's above the other, not with the sergeants, obviously, but certainly with the with the grunts like us, yeah, absolutely but i love um, this scene I love this scene.
4: It is the work of untouchables.
2: In this place, there are no untouchables, and no work is beneath any of
1: us. I want to just stop for a second. Yeah. For those people who don't know, there was, and to some degree, still is, a caste system in yeah. India. And caste in India is very much like race. Ah, it's 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 different, but but has the same sort of effect. Right. And there are, I think, four castes, um, and of which. Gandhi was in the third highest, which is the Brahmin caste, I think. And untouchables are the bottom caste. And they, from birth, are a, you're not allowed to marry an untouchable. They weren't allowed to pray in the same temples with other Hindus. And they were assigned to do all of the worst work there was. No freedom to go and do, you know, to become a doctor or go to become a merchant. No, they, they had to clean out the latrine. And Gandhi, this actually I would say isn't accurate at this moment. Not that she didn't have to clean out the train, but this statement of there are no untouchables and no work is beneath any of us, his feelings about untouchables had to evolve right. over decades. Right. It wasn't he wasn't just so firmly formed, and even as you know in the middle of his life he was still like well we're going to keep the caste system of course we can't get rid of that right, right but we should get rid of some of the way we treat untouchables and that was actually one of the big conflicts was as his his from both sides because as his opinions evolved hmm. the people they weren't evolving fast enough for the people representing the untouchables okay. and they were evolving way too fast
3: for most of india yeah i think the the way you have to look at great people is that Did they stick to their principles, their like foundational principles, but also were they willing to evolve as they garnered more experience? Because that's natural. Yeah. No one is created to lead a movement from birth. Okay. And that includes Jesus Christ. I don't want to get people mad. But Jesus Christ had to learn himself, had to speak, had to talk to people if you believe in Christ, right? He had to make these uh, connections and conversations. He had to go out in the desert if you believe the story for 17 years. So it was like – or 16 years I think it was. So this idea that you know someone just sprouts up ready to lead is ridiculous. And I think it's great to see biographies that do show warts and all. And although they don't fully dive in, as Steve mentioned earlier, to the cantankerous elements of Gandhi – this scene, I think, is a fantastic scene to analyze because he grabs his wife when she says yeah. she won't do it. And his wife is a little arrogant and she plays it so well. The actress who plays the, the that scene, this scene, uh, you know, like, uh, then not, I won't do it. And he grabs her and he's like, okay. And it's the, one of the first times you see him go into the lower register of his voice. All right, then go. Oh, you
2: don't belong here. Go, the Get up. Don't All it. together we not the
3: sheep. I'm your wife. And he breaks and he says, what's wrong with me? Right. The pressure of this. And I think this is all so essential to analyzing and getting a window into the relationship because they do love each other. Yeah. And if she even says to him, who are you to come I knew when you were a boy, they may all kiss your ass, but I knew you when you were a yep. boy, you know? And so there's that thing. So he has to evolve as the people around him have to evolve. And they have to find um, a way to exist in this new um, relationship, in these new parameters that that are existing and changing and um, becoming real as they go on. And I think the scene really shows that. So by the end, there's this genuine love between them, affectionate moment where she does love him and she understands it is a lot for him to take on. And then she realizes, I'm hurting him by not. You know, by getting caught up in my own points of views, my own arrogance, my own conceitedness about it. And I have to confront my stuff. And then she says, you know, I have to go rake and cover the latrine. It's a way of kind of finding the compromise yep. through love. And it's a fantastic scene. It's an amazing scene. And I,
1: I agree with everything you said. And I, I just want to, there's so much heavy lifting that this scene is doing. Yeah. Like, it, you think, because it, it's just a simple scene. It's maybe it's a minute. I don't, it's not long. Maybe it's yeah, a no, minute. And, and here what are we getting here? We're getting the the this thing that we say you know Admiral's fairly light in, which is that Gandhi could be cantankerous he wasn't always that easy because mm-hmm. he he had very high standards and expectations that the, yeah. he had one of the people around to so we get that we get the evolution of their relationship yeah and you know and and we also get I mean can you imagine if Linley now suddenly went? I'm going to do this huge thing and you have to come along with me on it. Right. And it's going to change every single aspect of our lives and require tremendous sacrifice and discipline. Right. And it's all encapsulated in
3: this one scene. We have an arranged marriage and you were a lawyer. Yeah. And now I have to go live in squalor to, you know, honor my vows to you. And to honor where our journey is going in this relationship. It's not what she signed up for initially. So, yeah, all of that has to be factored in. It is not the woman's job just to go, yeah, sure, I'll do whatever you say, man. You know, it's no, it's an equal partnership. It
1: has to. be. And I should say that where his wife, Katsurba, yeah, she did, she was his partner and his helper and, yes. you know, throughout their, her entire life. That's true. And most of his kids were at the ashram and doing the same thing. Right and being arrested and going to jail and all of those (laughs) things, he had a lot of very, very difficult relationship with his eldest son. Yeah. And his eldest son who did was in South Africa. I think his eldest son was in jail for a year, in prison for a year. Wow. You know, so his son was trying to live up to the expectations and just never really could. Right. And his dad, Gandhi. and, And again, a lot of this is cultural. A lot of this is, you know, the father was the head of the family and yeah, you yeah, were yeah. supposed to do. That was it, you know. And so I'm not I don't mean to criticize that element of it. But if you read some of the letters that Gandhi wrote to his eldest son, yeah, they're really, really rough. I mean, really, really difficult. And his son, you know, he had premarital sex and Gandhi yeah. was extremely disappointed in him. His son became an alcoholic. And Gandhi couldn't understand. And of course, Gandhi's just like, you need to change your diet. That's why if you just eat, you know what I'm telling you to eat, then you would never be an alcoholic. And just was. And then at one point, his son changed his name and became a Muslim yeah, um, and didn't want to be a Gandhi anymore. And yeah,
3: it was in 1911. You were now. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it was a really,
3: really difficult relationship. And. I don't know. This happens with great yeah. men. I mean look at Franklin and Benjamin Franklin and his son, you know. I was I just recently watched the Benjamin Franklin mm. documentary on PBS which is incredible from it's Ken, Burns. Look um, at
1: Ken Burns. Fucking Ken Burns. I mean Jesus, the guy every I, has he ever made a bad documentary?
3: Uh, I don't know. I but don't love but, the World War II one. That's yeah, but, yeah. No, I haven't seen that one yet. But if you go back and watch some of his earlier ones after Civil War, they're not as powerful as as the ones that are now. And I think maybe it's the access, the technology, and the amount of historians that he's allowed to use now. Right? Because the Ali one was just you. If you think you've seen or know everything about Ali, watch that documentary. There's so much more in it than I would have yeah. could have possibly considered. Um, I do think his baseball one is a bit uneven, but I do enjoy it. But this, seeing the relationship become a central part of this documentary, over three parts, you know, and I'm, I'm halfway through the Hemingway one, which I'm enjoying like hell, but three like, two. yeah, yeah. And this, but this exploration, you know, and this happens, right? Because sometimes the father and son, I mean, the eldest son, you know, there's this thing that comes in of trying to establish who you are outside of this person and maybe he tried to be so much like his father and realized this isn't for me. And then his father was like, no, you got to do these things He's, no, I need to be my own person. I need to be independent of your rule. I need to walk my own path, you know? And so this happens, uh, it, it happens in every family, but certainly with a great man as your father, uh, it, it is so much more um, augmented, you know, it, it's got higher stakes to it. And so it's just unfortunate and we become aware of it, you know? And so it's, it, it happens in families, regardless of greatness or not.
1: You know? I, I think that comparison to Ben Franklin's son is a, a really good one. And the um, I was trying to think of how, how to say this. The Gandhi makes massive changes from what his father did and yeah. what and how he who he was raised to be. He's right. Like the family made all these sacrifices so he could go to London and become a lawyer. Yeah, because they wanted him to be successful in the way that he was supposed to be successful, and he breaks away from his from all that tradition. Yeah, but then his son doesn't want to do what he wants him to do, and he's like, "No, you have to do what I want you to do."
3: You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, but then again, I think his name is Halal. uh, Sorry, Hiralal. um, He, you know, devolves into some terrible places in his life he apparently showed up at his father's funeral looking like a derelict and almost Mm -hmm. unrecognizable so clearly he had some you know stuff he was negotiating and i think when your father is the father of a nation yeah he's not always there with what you need right because we're all born different and we're all born with different instinctive needs and someone like indira gandhi becomes prime minister in the image of her father whereas um Uh, Hidala does not and goes into a different path, you know, and it's unfortunate. It's a shame. Well, and I'm not
1: going to name any names at all, but there are people today who are the children of powerful people who are troubled,
3: you know, very troubled.
1: There's a big meeting now. Now that the crowds have come. Yeah. And we're at this hall and Gandhi stands up and Ben Kingsley's tracking of his evolution of how this character who was super nervous and very shy when we began is now gained confidence.
2: Yeah. I want to welcome you all. Every one of you.
1: And that is directed to the British police. Yes. That are in the hall. Yeah. And this is the thing. Do you think he really means I want to welcome the British police? Yes, I think he does. Me too. Yeah. It's not sarcastic. It's no. I'm really glad you're here.
3: Um, Yeah. And this is the way he fights. It is not through condemnation and criticism and finger pointing. It is through uh, trying to make them understand there is equality here. Because once the English see Indians as equal, then the treatment of them naturally changes, you know.
1: And what we hear is that there's a new law. And the first part of the new law is that all Indians must be fingerprinted like criminals. Yeah. And then he says
2: no marriage other than a Christian marriage is considered valid under this act. Our wives and mothers are whores and every man here is a bastard.
3: Yeah, I mean, Steve, it's it's it really is kind of crazy to study empires and modern empires makes it even more crazy. Right, because there is so much history to study and understand and learn. And if you're an educated leader, an educated ruler, to make decisions like this against a people and thinking that this will be the way it is all the time is just stupid, flat out stupid. It's not about, you know, ignorant because there is plenty of information out there for you to study, but you're repeating the same path. So this idea that you think you can get away with fingerprinting in, in Indians in their own country, you know, or it was just, oh, this is South Africa, right? In South Africa. This idea that you can do this here, there, it's just crazy, you know? And it's for all the stuff that people love about Britain and England, don't forget the very, very ugly past of their colonialization, just like ours, you know?
1: Very ugly. And this is the thing, is that when we look at Rome or we look at the British Empire, the stories that we are told are generally written by the Romans and the British. Yeah. And their message, you know, the image of Rome is spreading civilization among the barbaric German Germanic tribes and stuff. (laughs) We don't hear the stories of the Germans and what they thought about Rome taking over. We don't hear much of that. And we definitely have heard very, very little. I mean, how many stories have you heard from the Zulus or from the, you know, any any group of people? And it's all over the world that the British conquered. Right. And right here, we, just the idea, like, we don't Legally recognize any marriages. I mean, that is crazy.
2: Yeah. I swear to Allah, I'll kill the man who offers that insult to my home and my wife and let them hang me.
1: And there's applause. Everyone's like, yeah. Yeah. Because throughout history, what do you do against oppression? You fight back. Yes. That's what you do. And that's what they think they're going to do.
2: Talk means nothing. Kill off your officials before they disgrace one Indian woman. Then they might think twice about such laws. In that course, I would be willing to die.
1: And there's applause. And Gandhi says, and this is the genius.
2: I praise such courage. I need such courage because... In this cause, I too am prepared to die.
1: And the audience is like, yeah, Gandhi's going to fight with
3: us, you know.
2: But my friend, there is no cause for which I am prepared to kill.
3: And that stops the crowd cold. Yep. That's so great. Once again, intelligence. Oh, yeah. Respect, right? Him saying, I wish I had this courage. He is allowing those statements to breathe because people sometimes need to burst out to say these things so that they don't repress it and he lets it come out sit there in the air and then he addresses it respects it by speaking to it but then also says you know i am not willing to kill and that is just like what
2: whatever they do to us we will attack no one kill no one but we will not give our fingerprints not one of us
1: and then he describes what is going to happen
2: they will imprison us they will fine us they will seize our possessions but they cannot take away our self-respect if we do not give it to them
3: it's amazing i was reminded of the braveheart speech they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom you know and It just kind of rang with me for some reason this time around watching the movie that that those speeches are correlative. I thought of the Henry V speech. Sure. You know, whoever sheds his blood with me today, be he ne'er so vile, he shall be my brother. This idea of that we are all in the battle together and that they can do whatever they want to us, but we retain our humanity if we stand together and if we stay strong with what we're doing. I'm glad you I'm glad
1: you brought that up because there's a huge tradition of the speech. You know, the yes, speech before we go to war. Yeah. You know, it's Patton or it's whoever it is. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to work. And what's what I didn't think about until you just said it is that Gandhi is playing on that. Oh, yeah. This is the – except we're not going to fight anybody. No.
3: Right.
1: Like that's the, the, the remarkable thing is he's saying we're going to go get the shit kicked out of us and win.
3: It's by arguably the harder war. Oh my God, yes. And the more difficult speech to deliver to get people to be on board with, to be willing to surrender their physical bodies um, and not fight back and resist the impulse to carry out punishment, an eye for an eye. Um, There's
1: some quote, and I've never been able to find it, and I think I heard it from Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. uh, attributed to Gandhi. Mm. I've never found the exact quote, but it was something like, in order for one man to ride on another man 's back, the man must first bend over
3: <laughs> yeah uh,
1: it 's something like that, Is that Gandhi's like we 're never going to give them that, yeah, they could take all they want and 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 one guy yells at, you know have you ever been to prison they they beat us, they torture us, and he says,
2: "We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them, and through our pain we will make them see their injustice and it will hurt as all fighting hurts
1: not only is this like the craziest idea in the world <laughs> i mean it's but the fact that he was able to convince thousands of yeah. people i mean could you imagine going out today i mean we have this incredibly Hundreds contentious millions millions eventually yeah, yeah. that that we have this totally contentious world today where i mean in our country people really fucking hate each other right now yeah it's terrible and, and could you imagine going and saying, hey, we're gonna walk out and let those people that we hate yeah. kick the shit out of us and just stand there and take it so that they see how unjust they're
3: being. Yeah, as someone who you know how I'm built, Steve. I'm built to fight. I'm built to defend. I'm built to be seen as equal. And so, you know, watching the movie this time around and with with all that's going on in our world, there's we don't any we don't seem to have any more a common understanding of good and evil of right and wrong. And it's I'm watching what he's doing in the movie and I'm saying to myself, could I do the same thing? And I wonder, I don't know if I have the strength, you know, to not fight back. And yet it's so brilliant what he's doing, you know, it's so intelligent and you marvel at the people. I marvel at the people who don't, you know, default to passion or default to, uh, emotion. Uh, I envy those people greatly. Um, and it's not that I, you know, I've had a, I haven't had a physical fight in decades, but like the potential is always there. And if someone hurts me or attacks me or attacks someone, I love the idea of being able to stand and take it. I honor that so much. There's, I have such a respect for that. And clearly people in an instinctive primal level must have sensed that this, that there was a strength in this. There was a nobility in this. There was a power in this. um, And maybe even a new way to go because we've tried to fight back. We've tried to kill English. We've tried right. to do this and they, they inflict even worse damage on us. So what if we do this? Well, maybe let's try it, you know? Well, it,
1: it, I have a couple, of many thoughts actually. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I, and I'll, I'll just go backwards. Is that the first one? Is that in a in a world in which you are represented and people are listening to you? There's no need for passive resistance, you know, right? Right. Because you're part of a representative government. If yes. they, if you can if you can get your your um, issues dealt with yeah. in the normal ways, you don't have to do this stuff and and also in a world in which you are capable of defeating the other side through violence mm-hmm. you don't need passive resistance because although i would prefer it because that's the way we always do stuff well you can't push me around i'll push you around <laughs> um and so this solution is fits into this area where nowhere before has anyone figured out how a much less powerful group can take on a more powerful group if that powerful group doesn't want to have anything to do with them yeah That's the first thing. Going back to what you were saying before, it's funny. I think this movie, it sounds like it's hitting both of us at an important point in our lives. You know, it's good to be addressing it. Uh, You and I are very different in that sense. I don't have that sort of violent reaction. Like it's not. I really feel this. A lot of this represents my belief system. And I just watching it this time and studying Gandhi this time, I really feel I haven't had the courage of my convictions. Mm. I have believed this stuff a lot. But I haven't stood up and said the things that I should say or make the sacrifices yeah. I should have made in this direction, mm-hmm. you know? Interesting. Because it's scary. Uh-huh. Of you know? Course.
3: Yeah. He said it can only be one one ruler who does it
1: one or two yeah. every few decades so yeah yeah he said i and, and by the way i'm not meaning to compare
3: myself to gandhi or anything <laughs> no, like no, that no, but,
1: i'm just going like this is the lesson i need i need this yeah. courage
3: i need to find this courage well look and like you know this is what's talked about by jesus in the new testament he yeah. did not fight back against the romans when they came for him he, you know when the he, when um i forget who it was. was it peter or david who cut the ear off the roman soldier when they come to arrest jesus he put the Ear back on, he healed the Roman soldier, right? They're, they're, so these ideas come out of numerous places. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's, but we've seen the power of them in real life. You know, you can debate whether the Bible is actual or not, and, and certainly you're allowed to feel one way or another about it, but this actually happened with Gandhi. This actually happened with Martin yeah. Luther King Jr. So these are more tangible things that you can see. Well, and this is
1: why I look at the world today, where whichever side you're on, people are going, "Well, how could you possibly deal with that other side? They're yeah. obviously terrible." And I go, "Well, look what Gandhi did." Yeah. You know, Gandhi was dealing with stuff way worse than what was what's happening in the United States today. And you're right, and certainly later in his life, when we get to you know partition and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that's way worse than anything we're dealing with in our country, and yet he found ways to make peace. Yeah. You know, and so we should be able to too. Yeah but it's real hard. Mm -hmm. The most amazing thing he says is,
2: but we cannot lose.
1: We cannot. And he looks smug in that moment. (laughs) There's so much confidence. And then he says, with a smile.
2: They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then, they will have my dead body. Not my obedience.
3: Damn. Bid them strip my bones, yep. right? Henry V mm. says that. Yeah. Bid them bid them strip my bones. But they'll have my dead body, but they will not have yep. me. And then there's a pause. And where before
1: they applauded strongly for the guy who's like, I'm going to kill anybody who does this my wife. Now it's that slow rhythmic applause, the slow clapping. And you see... A Hindu, a Muslim, an old man, a young man, all of them joining in, you
2: know. We are Hindu and Muslim, children of God, each one of us. Let us take a solemn oath in his name that come what may, we will not submit to this law.
1: And they all stand in silence. As the camera moves up to the next balconies. I mean, it's, a, it's pretty damn powerful. Yeah. We cut to feet marching in the dust and we're at the mines. This is the very first day of shooting. Oh, wow. By the way, all of the South Africa stuff was all shot in India.
3: Oh.
1: It's not shot in South Africa. Oh. Richard Attenborough was late to set. Yeah. Oh. Because he went to a Gandhi's memorial... Because he felt he needed some quiet time to commune with the spirit of Gandhi before he began shooting this film. Yeah, They had 200 extras um, for this scene, but thousands of people showed up to watch the filming of Gandhi. And so he kind of went, you want to be extras? (laughs) And he just pulled the spectators in so he had a lot more extras. (laughs) Wow. And they march up. And Gandhi is in the front, and they see a car pulling up, and some white guys there, <laughs> and tries to shut them down.
2: These men are contracted laborers. They belong in the mines. You put their comrades in jail. When you free them, they will go back to work.
1: And the guy says, I love this.
2: Yes. I
3: love Gandhi's badassery. Oh, oh yeah.
2: <laughs> I've warned you. We've warned each other.
3: And the look on that guy's face.
2: Exactly. Because he
3: has no intelligent response to deliver and he's lost the back and forth is great.
1: Well, and there's such a like a, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've warned each other. Come on. I'm the British Empire. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they start marching, and the guy drives away. And then I love how Attenborough does this, is that there's this shot of this empty space between, like, the barricades. hmm mm-hmm. And we hear it first. We hear the horses. And then out come the mounted police, and we see the mounted police have sticks, and Gandhi keeps marching. And then the, horse, the, the leader of the mounted police says...
2: Lie down, down. down. Yeah. The horses won't trample on us. Lie down.
1: And they all go down. It's really scary. Yeah, it is, of course. Yeah. And the horses don't trample them. They refuse to trample them. And until finally, the the guy, you know, leading them says, "All right, give it up. I guess we can't do this." Yeah. And they ride away.
2: Now what the hell do we do? Let them march in our own sweet time. In our own sweet way, we'll get
1: them. And then we cut to Charlie, our priest, at the church. Yeah. And he says, and it's just so funny because I can't not hear him in Chariots of Fire giving <laughs> yeah. speeches.
4: You know what I mean? At the same voice. So yeah. yeah. No surprise. Some of you may be rejoicing that Mr. Gandhi has at last been put into prison. But I would ask you, assembled here in this house of God... To recognize that we are witnessing something new, something so unexpected, so unusual, that it is not surprising the government is at a loss. In other words,
1: he's making a pro-Gandhi speech. Yes. And how does that go over with his congregation?
3: Not, well, some of them walk out, and a lot walk out. Uh, okay, fair. Um, but some stay, yes. And the old lady close-up is great. Yep. You know, because there are people who know something is wrong. Yep. Again, there were abolitionists during slavery times. Okay. So people know instinctively something is wrong. It's not like it's of its time. It's never been of its time when something is wrong. You know, there's always people who are there willing to point it out, you know. Um, and I love that. I love the close-up there. And yes, you're very right. I mean, remember him delivering the sermons in Chariots of Fire. It's like almost yeah. similar, right? He just is up on a pulpit again. It's the same yeah. tone. It's that, yeah. what's so great about him is he's you know,
1: we talked about this before. He's yeah. just kind of honestly and very gently speaking something he's very passionate about. Yeah, you know, and we're in prison. And Gandhi is lining up for food, and there is Mr. Khan serving the food <laughs> with a big
2: smile on his big face. Big smile on his face, man. <laughs> He loves it. They're sparing no one, I see. Ah, oh, no. You were the surprise. It has been all over the prison. We thought they would be too afraid of the English press.
1: I? Which, by the way, no, he didn't. Gandhi wanted to be imprisoned. He thought he was going to be in prison. And we got to say, Gandhi, I don't know how many years of his life he spent in prison, but it was a lot.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's usually the way it works. Mandela yeah. in prison a lot martin luther king jr went to prison for a few for a little bit for for his protests and that's that's the that's the default response from any occupying power any empire any government is put them in prison that'll shut them up but if you stick true to your principles you stick true to your beliefs it won't shut them up it'll inspire more people to come to their cause you know because people naturally mistrust governments naturally this is also, I know I said it before, but this is why you have to have a uh,
1: worldwide press. Yeah. Oh, okay. in, in, in before worldwide press or even press at all, you imprison somebody, nobody knows about it. Yes. You know, three farms over, they don't know anything that happened unless they are told. Right. You know, um, and it sounds like they've arrested everyone. They arrested the wives. They arrested <laughs> kids. They, ra- I mean, <laughs> you know, so what it means, nobody's working and yeah. prison is expensive. You got, even if it's the worst prison in the world, you still got to feed people, yeah. you know
2: it's a big strain it split the government well that's one victory if we hold firm it won't be the last don't worry i have never seen men so determined you have given them a way to fight
3: isn't that incredible yeah just
2: incredible
1: and then he gets called by a guard and we cut to the beautiful government buildings and Mr. Daniels, who you mentioned before, <laughs> uh, he's also in Braveheart, Yeah, ushers him into General Smuts, the leader of Atoll Fugard, the leader of the British. Yeah. Who's very polite to him. Yes, he is.
4: Will you have a glass of sherry? Thank you. No. I have some tea. And again, I love
2: Gaunti. He says, I dined at the prison. it's genius
4: please do come and sit down
1: you know it's all the little stuff is is gandhi hesitates and then very slightly wipes his butt you know like pats his butt because he's in prison guard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to sit on the nice chair and get it messed up yeah um and basically smuts says that you might have won You know, I'm going to recommend to the government that they change this law. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he kind of
4: drops the bad news. But they might also recommend that all future Indian immigration be severely restricted, even stopped.
1: And there's a pause as Gandhi reacts to that. And then, and this is so surprising, but he
2: says, because Gandhi is an honorable man.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Immigration was not an issue on which we fought. It would be wrong of us to make it one now that we we are in a position of advantage.
3: Right. Take the victory now and accept that. And that it does not mean that you can't later mm-hmm. launch a new protest about the immigration restrictions and whatever. So you take the victory now, understanding that the battle is a longer battle. or The war is a longer war.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, and this is what we said we're fighting for. Yes, right.
1: So exactly. it would be dishonest of me. Yeah. Well, and I love, too, that this small man in filthy prison clothes yeah, sitting in the seat of power mm-hmm. says we are in a position of advantage. Which I, I love that
3: um, Smuts has like a slight, just a slight reaction to it. Right. It's just great. <laughs> um, just by the way, respectful reaction. Uh, Smuts yeah.
1: years later wrote a lot about Gandhi. Really? And with tremendous admiration. Wow. See?
3: And there you go. And that shows in
4: the performance. Right. Yeah. I'm ordering the release of all prisoners within the next 24 hours. You yourself are free as from this moment.
1: And then he stands up, and then in a little bit of pride, which, you know, 15, 20 years from now, Gandhi would never have said this, but it says... It's just that in these clothes,
2: I would prefer to go by taxi. All right, fine. I'm um, I'm afraid I have no money. And I love the smuts kind of goes,
1: neither do I. <laughs> And then Daniels, who's not like Gandhi at all. Right. He asked him to give him a shilling for the taxi. And I love that he goes,
3: I beg your pardon. As if
1: like, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like what? What the fuck? And, and, and I love this little, it's, 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 they push it a little bit, I think, for this yeah. joke, but it's worth it.
2: How far will you be going, Gandhi? Well, now that this is settled, I had thought seriously of going back to India. But a shilling will do splendidly
1: for a moment. Huh. And then with a lot of pride, as Daniel such to show him out, he says, I'm obliged,
3: Mr. Daniels, but I can find my own way out. Yeah. Um, and I love the ahead. shot of the military guy who had brought him in, uh, in handcuffs, by the way. Yeah. With his mouth agape as Gandhi walks out on his own power through the halls of power there out the door. Again, I'm going to make another Lawrence Arabia comparison. Mm.
1: This is Aqaba. Yeah. This is his return from Aqaba, yeah. is that he was a nobody. Who went to this place and now he comes back as a famous famous person,
3: yeah, there is a line you know re, you know watching it after we had our conversation, you know and people you know we, we we record these things in in bits and pieces as we, as sometimes depending on our schedules i you know i've i've found myself seeing the Lawrence of Arabia comparisons more and more as I watch the film, which has never occurred to me, so that's a a way that you've opened my eyes to seeing how the construction of this bears some similarities, maybe an homage to what David Lean did with Lawrence of Arabia. I don't want to say it's stealing. Uh, No, no, I don't think it's... I think, you know, artists learn lessons from
1: other artists. Sure. And going like, oh, I understand why this was effective for studying a great man. Yeah. You know? Um, By the way, at this point, the British had really begun to fear Gandhi. This had never happened in the British Empire. Mm -hmm. This person with nothing where they i mean they you know the british were experts at dominating other cultures all over the world they had it down yeah. and this guy was able to fight them and beat them you know yeah. right um uh cuz they had all this you know divide and conquer bribery torture they you know imprisoning people that you know they they would you know elevate people that were their allies and give them lots of power and money and then you know they it was all stuff that they knew how to do. And Gandhi found the secret to beating them. Well, there is one other thing we should say, which is that, and now Nelson Mandela is a huge follower of Gandhi. Yeah. love Gandhi, but there is some criticism of him or some people that said that he kind of cozied up to the whites and didn't do anything for the majority population in South Africa who were still greatly, greatly oppressed at the time
3: at the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, it is what it is yeah well i mean also i mean again he's in the beginning stages of his evolution as a leader you know and so maybe he doesn't get 100 percent right there and also south africa is not his country india is and we'll see what he does when he gets to india that being said those complaints those criticisms are obviously valid But we also have to factor in perspective here of where he's at in the stage of him becoming this. Exactly.
1: I think Gandhi 30 years later, it would have been the whole country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And so at this moment, as Gandhi is leaving South Africa to return to his homeland, India, I think it's a good time, John, to end part one of our exploration of Gandhi. Uh, As always, we'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on Facebook or Twitter uh, at Cine underscore Files, Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can buy or stream Gandhi at cinefiles.net. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe at any place you want to, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, Please leave us a review; they're hugely helpful. Um, you can find me at sr morris on Twitter, sr morris one on Instagram,
3: and enterprise incidents for all your Star Trek needs. John, how would people find you? You can also find me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, and my own YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash John and my other podcasts, the Top Ten and the Geek Buddies that are out there for you to enjoy. And we will be back next week with part two. It will not
1: be the final part, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> part two of Richard Attenborough's Gandhi, right here on the Cinephiles.